Hello, dear listener. This is the Optimist in Revolt. Basically Christmas, which uh, is a good time to spend with family, so my guest this week is my father, Rex Bishop. So my original mission on the podcast overall was to highlight interesting Christians and to hear their stories, and I can say that my father falls into the category of interesting Christian. He's very eccentric, he is full of folksy wisdom, and happens to be one of the smartest people that I know. I find myself slowly turning into him as I get older, which I actually find to be a very comforting notion. Uh, He raised me in the way that I should go. He baptized me uh, in the year 2000, and he continues to be a source of guidance well into my adulthood. I think he is genuinely one of the most interesting people on the planet, and I'm thrilled to have him as my guest this week. How's it going, Dad? Just wonderful, son. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm glad to have you on. How are things in Fresno? Um, Cold. Um, Mm -hmm. And with the COVID thing, kind of boring. Sure. But so uh, I should we're, finding I sh- way, we're finding ways to cope. That's good. I should mention, um, you're a retired person, um, so you spend a lot of time woodworking and stuff now. Is that correct? Yep. All right. Good. It's good to keep you busy and out of trouble as much as, as we can. Um, although I'm not sure that woodworking actually keeps you out of trouble. I think that you'll find trouble regardless. Um, yeah. Well... Let's talk about this. Uh, how did you become a Christian, Pop? Well, <laughs> it goes back a long ways. Um, I always grew, you know, I grew up in a home that um, was a Ten Commandment home um, without talking about God or anything about it, but just living a good, normal, respectful life. Uh, that's just how it was. And um, when I was in first grade, we had a neighbor down the street, an eighth grade girl who for some reason took, took a liking to me, her and her family, and took me to church. And I went to Sunday school and, and uh, harassed all the Sunday school teachers that were, uh, were there for me. And, and that was my first introduction to God because God wasn't talked about at home. Um, I think it was just an accepted thing. And and I progressed through life, you know, okay, there's God, that's great. And I'd go to mass every once in a while with some of my buddies and, and, but never really pushed the, the God issue was never pushed at me or, or anything else. And um, then there was a church that was real close to the school I went to. And I rode my bike because I rode my bike everywhere. And there was a group of kids playing softball in the parking lot. And I stopped to watch and they asked me to join them. And Next thing I knew, I was in vacation Bible school um, because it's all about the fun, right? And um, so that progressed into junior high. And and mostly for me in my younger years, uh, my Christian, my faith uh, was the faith of others in that um, I went for the people more than anything else and and went with the logic of things along the way. Um, Stop me if I ramble. But... um, it, uh, there was just a lot of people that took me under their wings and, um, and, uh, I appreciated that. And of course, everybody likes to be wanted and liked. And when you showed up and they shook your hand and patted you on the back and, and everything you liked it. So you kept going back for more. 
And uh, so that progressed for a while. And, and reading some of the Bible along the way, it just became logical. Yeah, hmm. this is great. This sounds good. Um, you know, at Christmas time, we got Jesus and, and Easter time and still never talked about at home. But then when it got to a point where I was getting more involved, my parents, especially my dad, per se, always made sure that if I told him I wanted to go to church, I would get transportation. I would be dressed properly. I would have my Bible with me and I'd have money for the offering. Hmm. And it was just really weird because it was never talked about. And it just progressed through the years. And, and as I got into high school, you know, with campus life programs going on and stuff, that was really cool. And it was still about the fun um, along the way. And yet you keep going and eventually some of it starts sinking in a little bit. Mm -hmm. And you just, um, for me, it just happened. Um, I don't have a big story about it. Um, I didn't break my leg and have God heal it or anything like that. Um, It just happened for me. And the thing for me was that it just made sense. Hmm. Um, You know, uh, people talk about Jesus and everybody wants to be loved and Jesus is love. Hey, that's cool. But I was also a kid in the, of the 70s when I was in high school, and it was cool to be a Christian, but at the same time, you didn't really, yeah, I'm a Christian, and you're a Buddhist, and you're an atheist, and everybody's cool. That's all great. And it never really dawned on me that uh, my faith was the true faith. It took hmm. a long time for that to sink in. And um I don't know. Interrupt me here. Well, okay. Let me let me get a couple of thoughts in here. One, were you baptized, Dad? I was. I was baptized in sixth grade. Okay. Um, it was the first time I ever saw my parents in church. Okay. And, you know, it, the really weird thing, but what I remember was, I remember the other kids I was baptized at the same time, because I can remember the do. preacher coming to the door and ask my, my parents if it was okay if I was baptized, and they said, yeah. And so they so, were there for that. And after the, after the whole, I can want to call it a ceremony, whatever you want to call it. I went out to sit with them and they passed the offering plate, of course, to the Baptist church. And I can remember my dad putting a 20 in there and I thought, this is really weird. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I think knowing him, it's, that's what was kind of expected, right? That was kind of his deal. Like, this is what we do. Um, I also, I, one of the things that fascinates me about your coming to Jesus is that I think you have the reverse uh, experience of many people in your generation. Maybe I'm making that up in my head, but you know, your parents, like you said, we're not church attending people, right? But they were fine that you should go and you know, the kind of the morality part of Christianity they were down with, of course, but that, you know, I think a lot of people in your generation had very religious parents and then stopped being Christians and it's interesting to me that you kind of had the opposite effect. And of course, you know, your dad, as as I will share with the listener now, was like, it was an interesting thing that we would invite him to church every Sunday and he wouldn't go every single time he'd come to visit us. Papa, come to church? No. Until, you know, he was in his late 70s, maybe, probably. And so that, I think, is a very interesting thing that you, you know, and it's nice to talk to you about this stuff because I don't you know, I don't, you're my dad. So I don't like a lot of stuff gets taken for granted as far as what your story looks like. Um, but it's just very interesting to me that you had parents who the faith aspect wasn't necessarily a priority. The moral aspect was, but the faith aspect was not. And yet you were, um, a very faithful Christian. And I just think that's super interesting. 
And there's still a struggle with, with that, though, um, because I feel like a lot of times I'm very legalistic. Mm -hmm. um, I have to fight that. You know, the rules are the rules, and you must obey. Yeah. And on the other hand, I struggle, and I still struggle to this day, and I am working on it, um, to have that personal relationship with Christ. Because I don't do relationships extremely well. Sure. I just don't. Yeah. I have a lot of friends, a lot of acquaintances. I get along with folks, but I don't have that real tight thing um, that deep that, that depth I would like of to have with Jesus. Yeah. And I'm uh, I'm jealous of the people who are able to obtain that. Yeah, I think, and this is obviously a very generalized statement, but I think that a lot of times, men like you and I struggle for the relational thing, right? Because for you, it's like, and it's hard because we sometimes make parts of our Christianity into idols, right? So it can lead to that legalistic thing where I'm worshiping the legalistic parts because we like rules, right? And because I think the thing about legalism, the way to, to, that you fight against that is really to say, well, I'm, I'm obeying the commands because I love God and he tells me to do that. That if you that we if we love him we should obey the commands and it's not because you're attributing your goodness towards your salvation right you're not working for your salvation and for me I can at times uh, make an idol out of like the logic and the good arguments for God and the apologetics and those are all good things right following God's commands like you're wanting to do with the legalism thing that's a good thing to want to do but it's the relation part is can be a difficult part um, for yeah folks like I, us. I I guess I'm I'm emotionally very old testament mm -hmm. and i want that excitement of the new testament yeah and it's and it's hard too because i think that sometimes we look at the old testament as being only the god who like punishes and stuff well number one in revelation god punishes and oh, yeah. as was pointed out to me recently the only time in the whole bible that god punishes an innocent man is in the new testament in being jesus um but but they, we got to remember, even in the Old Testament, that's the same God, man, and that he was like he did, he was walking with Adam in the garden, and he was you know he he did all this stuff where he it's very relational. He wants to have a relationship with his people. They just keep screwing up, <laughs> and yeah. so it's it's difficult well, to do I'm that. Probably on that side of it. So yeah, maybe know. that's where you relate to it. Actually, um, hey Dad, what song is best? You know, I knew you were going to ask me this because I've listened to your podcast before, and so I kind of prepared in advance. Sure. And a lot of it depends on what kind of music. You know that I like anything from Sinatra to, to Patsy Cline to, to big band music. So, so far you said at, everything that – <laughs> so far everything you said is before 1969, but okay. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, huh? Oh, my life. Um, but, you know, there are a couple of hymns that, that do stand out for me. One of them is, um, is In the Garden. Mm -hmm. um, that has a lot of sentimental – feeling for me. Um, and the other one, um, is, uh, yeah. Great is thy faithfulness. Oh yeah. Um, you know, it's hard not to get emotional over that song. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, read great the, is that read the lyrics. You'll understand why. Yeah. I mean, both of those songs are definitely like, Hey, you want to see me cry in church? Sing one of those exactly. songs. Exactly. And then if you want to talk about music of, of secular, George Strait and um, Alan Jackson have never done sure. anything bad. So, Sure. Yeah. Way down yonder on the Chattahoochee. Yeah. Uh, yeah no, I think I think the, the thing about the hymns is it's just like you and I and mom, too, um, 
and the girls, my sisters, um, we all get emotional about the hymns. And I think it's, it's interesting because I feel there's such like a tendency in the modern worship movement, which there's nothing wrong with. I'm not saying that like contemporary Christian music is fine. It's great. It, but it's, it's trying to reach for that emotional thing. And it's just like the truth of the hymns cuts through any sort of trying to get to the emotional thing. And the lyrics of the hymns is like, really sit and think about that for a second. Yeah. I, I, I get a kick out of doing them in church and, and it's, you know, my sixth sense of humor, but I love it when all of my kids are with me in church and mm-hmm. then one of those hymns comes up and I start crying because the minute I start crying, everybody's crying. And it's yeah, I mean, the next box and the whole at that thing. point we're crying because of the hymn and because you're crying. Cause it's weird to see your dad cry. It's yeah, like when exactly. John Wayne dies in the shootest. Um, I mean, what person, Oh, go ahead. No, never mind. Go ahead. No, Dad, please question. finish your thought. That's true. We're both big talkers. Uh, what person whom you've never met and outside the Bible has had the biggest impact on your spiritual life? This is just a weird question, son, because everybody that's had the biggest impact on my life is people I've met or or alive, you know, along the way. So that's a very difficult question for me because I don't read a lot of, you know, Chesterson and this kind of stuff. I, it's just not in my my makeup. So I was thinking about that a little bit. And I've got a couple of relatives and a couple of athletes along the way. Um, I think of my great grandfather who I never, or I'm sorry, my grandfather who I never met, married a woman 10 years his senior who had eight kids already. Hmm. Talk about wanting to take care of your family. I, I okay. can't imagine the pressure on that. And then uh, my, my, grand, my great-grandmother Benton, who took in three young boys when their mother died. Uh, I just can't fathom that kind of dedication to taking care of a family. And then athletic wise, um, there was a football player that a lot of people won't remember by the name of Gail Sayers um, when I was a youth. And he had a a slogan that became very popular called I am third, uh, putting the Lord first, um, your family and friends second and yourself third. And I just, I was always taken by that statement. Mm. And then I can tell you the date of another time uh, because I'm not one, or I used to not be one to talk about my faith. It was cool to be a Christian and and everything, but I didn't share it. And I can tell you on the 17th of July, 1978, I was laying on my couch watching a baseball game, Giants and Cardinals game. And in the bottom of the ninth inning, um, a fellow by the name of Rob Andrews got up to bat and he hit his first major league home run and won the game with it. And so after the game, he was being interviewed by Bob Euchre. And for those of you who are familiar with Bob Euchre, uh, baseball announcer, talker, uh, you know, and everything else. And Rob Andrews came in and he says, gee, that, and, the, and Euchre says, gee, that was really great. You hit the home run, blah, blah, blah. And Rob Andrews responds, I would just like to thank the Lord Jesus Christ for allowing me to play baseball tonight. And Euchre couldn't talk and gave the microphone back to Cosell. Hmm. I mean, it was just really weird. And I thought, wait a minute. This guy talked about Jesus on TV. Yeah. <laughs> I could do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so those, those people uh, were people that I never met, but um, it got me thinking. Yeah. Well, and I, I think one of the things is like, what boldness, right? We're called to proclaim the gospel with boldness. You, this guy has an opportunity to say, 
yeah, I did a great job. Look at that. It's my, you know, it's my first major league home run. This, this moment could be all about me, right? Very easily. Like, and he, no one would fault him for that. But the boldness, like, hey, the reason I can do this is because of Jesus. Like, that's kind of what we're sort of called to do. Well, one of the other amazing things for me in that is that it was in the 70s in a time when people didn't do that. Yeah. You know, today you hear it a lot. I'll be honest with you, you do hear it a lot. And some of it, I don't know how sincere some of it is. I wouldn't want to judge anybody on that. But in the 70s, you just didn't do that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, people, the idea of the athlete who is emotionally vulnerable or shares things about his life generally is a modern thing that we have, right? We know everything about the personal lives of our athletes now, which wasn't the case in the 70s you know, in the 80s and even the early 90s, you didn't know about the lives of these people. So to come out with what is essentially a vulnerable statement about one of the things you don't talk about, politics or religion, uh, that's a pretty cool thing to do. And yeah, I would imagine that it would be shocking. Um, also, your ability to remember dates is impressive I and also kind that. of... I had to look that one up, son. I'm oh, sorry. Okay. Okay. Well, you've lied to all of us now. That's okay. Hey, what's the biggest challenge facing the church today? Biggest challenge facing the church today is um, that people are trying to shut the church down. I, I strongly believe that, um, and it's a real challenge to uh, well, the church is being persecuted. So on one hand, you could say that's a bad thing, but the Bible says it's going to happen. Yeah, and I guess I have to turn that around and put the the happy face on for it um, because it means we're getting closer to Jesus coming back. Yeah, I mean. The interesting thing is like that we're called to to imitate Christ, right? We're called to imitate Paul as he imitates Christ, and we're called to imitate Christ. And it's like we like to think about, oh, yeah, you know, like the walking around and loving people and all that stuff. Yeah, also he was crucified, and he was, you know, beaten. And so it's like, yes, you're called to imitate Christ. Sometimes that's not going to be so pretty, but I think you're right that it, it ends up being a strength. Um, but – it's that's like the old job interview thing. What's your biggest weakness? I work too hard. Um, but yeah, yeah. Well, and not only that, but but I also look at it from a standpoint that that it's hard to live it right now. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, it's that situation. Well, never mind. I won't go with that joke because it'll get me in trouble. But but it's yes, my it's twelve like, listeners will be offended. Well, yeah, it's it, it's. Well, I, I'll go ahead with it. When you're up your rear end in crocodiles, it's hard to remember that your objective was to drain the swamp. Mm. Um, the idea behind that being that it's hard to be a Christian right now sometimes. Yeah. And when you hear all the stuff that's being put down, you want to fight and you know that you need to fight a good fight and not just mm. fight. And that makes it extremely hard because you want to get angry. Yeah. And yet you shouldn't be getting angry. It shouldn't yeah. be anger. You should be praying for those those people who, who are knocking us down and praying for their salvation and to heap some coals on their heads. But yeah. well, that's hard yeah. to do. It is really hard to do. Um, there's a verse in Proverbs that I can't – because you know my memory is not great. Um, but it's, it's basically – it's this dual thing. I might have mentioned it on the podcast a while back. But it's like um, that you – the way you're supposed to answer a fool, right? And so it says, don't answer a fool according to his folly. And then the very next thing says, answer a fool according to his folly. And it's basically like, don't answer a fool in the way that they frame the conversation, right? So if someone comes to you all aggressive, you're evil, blah, blah, blah. You don't answer by saying, hey, you're evil, blah, 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 blah. But you have to answer, 
right? But you have to answer in love, and that's such a hard thing to do. And you have to answer them so that they know that they're being foolish, but not in the ma- the manner in which you address their foolishness cannot be foolish in and of itself. And that's very difficult to do. Yep. What do you put on your hot dogs? Um, depends on how good of a hot dog it is, for one thing, or where you're having it at. Um, so generally, to keep the, the answer short. Sure. Um, good mustard. Mm-hmm. not garbage mustard and ketchup is optional but if i can sneak it in i love having onions on my hot dog with mustard okay. yeah onions and mustard is a classic combination but i will say that i'm an expert hot dog eater mm-hmm. that's and true i've tried just about everything on a hot dog but i would say that uh yeah mustard and onions would um, be my favorite not to reference other episodes of the podcast too much, but uh, last week I had on Mark Toomey, who you know, my friend, Handsome Mark, mm-hmm. um, and he used to work at In-N-Out Burger, and he was saying that they would have these company barbecues once a year, and that they would do an In-N-Out Burger style hot dog, so it's all the stuff that goes on an In-N-Out Burger, but instead of on a burger, it's on a hot dog. Um, well, you could leave the Oh, you don't like on. the spread. Oh, yeah. I don't all like right. the spread. Well, I made too much of that when I worked in the restaurant. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. Um, we'll, we'll move on so we don't get too argumentative. Um, what do you think is the biggest argument against Christianity, and why are you not convinced by it? Um, when people, and I've had this said to me, and unfortunately I didn't have a good response because I don't respond very fast on my feet. Mm-hmm. But um, why does God, with all his power, let bad things happen if he's such a great God? Um, you know, why, why does he uh, allow children to die? Why does he allow wars to happen? Why does he allow people to get sick? And that kind of stuff. And uh, how do you come back on that? Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's real easy to say, well, like when somebody dies, well, they're in a better place now. True. But for the non-believer, not a lot of comfort. Yeah. And so I can see, and, and you can't really, um, unless you think about creation itself, um, you can't touch God. Yeah. You know, he, he, he's, he's, a, um, he's words, and you can't grab hold of words and hold on to them um, for a lot of people. Uh, and I think that that's where people get into a big argument, um, against Christianity. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to say, number one, the suffering happens, big scheme, you know, believers are in heaven. God as you know, knows what's going to happen. It's an infinite thing. You can't shove it into your, (laughs) into your finite head, right? The consequences of all this stuff. But I think too, what you're, you're right that like the concept of, God is good. And just because you don't understand what he's doing doesn't mean he's not good. Right. And so it's just, it's a, it's, it, it comes up as a, as a general theme that this is the biggest problem facing, like the, the, the best argument against Christianity is something like the problem of evil. Um, and just like, man, and, and not, and I think what you're pointing to more is not even like the argument of like, why does the Holocaust happen? Right. Where it's like, well, bad people do bad things, free will. People kind of get that. But like the the natural disasters and the suffering, and you talk about, you know, we live in a fallen world. It's not just man that's fallen; it's the world that's fallen. And so, you but know, who's someone yeah. who has never had that presented to them or doesn't understand it? 
right the concept is just unbelievable yeah it's hard because it's like once once you're a christian it makes sense but a lot of people i think it stops them from becoming christians because it doesn't make sense exactly and, and so it's pretty tough um what do you think is the biggest strength in the church today um well you know the the people being down on the church all the time and i get such a kick out of it because it's all the the bad christians around the world but the church is the ones who come running when people are in trouble mm-hmm. you look at a um, when Louisiana was devastated by storm, who were the first people to come in and help people rebuild their homes? It was Christians from churches. Yeah. Um, whenever there's a disaster in the community and they all of a sudden were, hey, we need money to help the people over that this happened to. And so the plate gets passed. And so the Christians get a bad rap because, oh, they're judgmental and everything else. But they're the first ones that come running. Um, the churches, they say, uh, well, they're against the immigrants and stuff. And yet you go to churches who have opened their doors for people to come in and have English language classes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the church really steps up when it needs to, for the most part. I mean, there's, of course, there's sure. always ones that don't. Because they're made of people and people so are kind of lousy. But if, if I can expand on, on all of that too, though, I think the churches are missing something really big in the way that that they can help more. And that is, I think that churches can stop arguing. I mean, we look at at the whole thing. If you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I don't care what the title is on your building. Mm -hmm. And that's a real thing for me. We can argue about all the translations of the Bible and the little bits and pieces. But if we've got the main thing theme there, which is Jesus Christ, loving us and forgiving us. Um, you know, he was crucified for us, raised from the dead. Um, we've got that in common. Why can't we unite together and be such a big power? Um, if all the churches were to do that, good grief, we'd be unstoppable um, in, in helping the world. But we yeah. argue over all these little petty things, or this church has a big music program, and that becomes the focus, or this church has a a food outreach and that be, let's get together and do what we're best at and help each other. Yeah. I think here's the thing. I think that the conversations about, like you're saying, like the, what translation to use infant baptism, various things like that. They're conversations that need to happen. I think that they're worth having because the truth you is bet. important. I think that what we need to frame it as though is a, a family dispute, right? You have you have discussions with your family where in places where you disagree, but you acknowledge first that you're family, right? So it's not like these people are different than us. It's we're under the same thing. Now let's get down to the bottom of it, right? And you can and what do you do with your family? Sometimes you're like, well, I think you, I think this, you think that. All right, well, do we are we still a family? Yes. And I think that's a really important perspective to have. Well, and uh, I got that a long time ago, some at the church that I kind of grew up in, where I met your mother and and everything else. Um, we had a a preacher in the pulpit, and he wasn't very popular. I'll be honest with you. I became friends with him, so I guess I attract unpopular people. Sure. But, Your friends but, with uh, me. He would always say, hey, our brothers and sisters over at the Lutheran Church, they've got a fundraiser going on this weekend. It would be fun to attend. Or, hey, this church over here is having a musical group in um, that you might want to come here. I've heard they're really good. Um, I, have, I don't hear that in the churches that I've been in. 
in recent mm. years. I just don't hear it. Yeah, I think that, I mean, obviously we're called to have Christian unity, right? Again, not discounting that these are serious issues, things like baptism, communion, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but it's like, man, do you believe in the triune God of the Old and New Testament? Do you believe that, you know, do you believe in the Trinity? Okay, great. Great. Jesus died for salvation? Wonderful. And I think that, you know, you move on from there. But I think, too, what you're talking about as far as, like, the service stuff is it's like the church gets painted as unloving um, because of our views on social issues mostly, right? Like, it's like you don't think gay people should get married, so you hate them. Well, no. So the reason that we take care of people in natural disasters is the same reason that we preach the gospel. We want people to experience the love of God in the way that we experience the love of God. And sometimes providing things for people looks like, hey, here's how you get saved. And sometimes it looks like, here's a bag of groceries. But those come from the same place. They both come from loving people because we're commanded to in the Bible. Well, it, it goes back to the old song that we learned in Sunday school. Um, they'll know we are Christians by our love. Yeah, that's right. And so it's hard because what the world views as loving and what we view as loving is often different in terms of moral consequences and stuff. Um, yep. And I think I think that's really what it comes down to. Hey, it's um, this episode's going to come out on Christmas Eve. So people, I, if people are listening to it on Christmas Eve, thank you. But don't do that. Go be with your family. Um, so, but still, we're going to, I'm going to, you know, at the end I do the, cause, because you're a devoted listener to the podcast, Father. Um, we're going to do, I'm going to read a little Bible. We'll talk about it. And then we'll get out of here. Does that sound good to you? Fair enough. All right. This is from Luke. This is like, you know, boilerplate Christmas. But um, Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. So that's pretty basic Christmas. Very. (laughs) Is there anything that strikes you particularly about that, Pop? Well, when I was out in the fields with the shepherds, sure. No, I'm just it sounds like a joke you would make. It does. Um, the Christmas story, I mean, we've heard this Christmas story since Charlie, they read it, Linus read it on Charlie Brown back in Charlie Brown's Christmas. I mean, and as a kid, I had heard it, of course. But when you try to take yourself, and I always, me, I, I'm a, physical experience type person. Mm-hmm. And so I try to put my place. I, I can't imagine being there and having, having an angel show up. Yeah. Just blows me away. Um, right. And these were shepherds, right? These are just regular blue collar dudes. Yeah. You know, I mean the kind of work that I, I would fit right in doing. Yeah. Right. Uh, and all of a sudden an angel shows up and starts talking to me. Um, I'm sorry. I'm crawling under a rock. I, <laughs> right. You know, and, these people, I know they didn't know any better back then, but they had to be so brave to do the things that they did. Yeah. Uh, well, 
It's it's so funny that, tells you that a savior's here. What? Yeah. Yeah. What's a savior? Well, and and likely those shepherds were Jewish, right? And so for them, like they know what savior means, but guys, it's been a long time. We've been waiting for the savior. You mean it's now o'clock? Like it's this is the time when he gets here? That's pretty weird. And I think it's also funny that angels always show up and the first thing they say is don't be afraid. It's like when you read about bibli- like biblical descriptions of what angels look like, they are terrifying. And it's like, sir, be not afraid. Uh, this is the scariest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> well, and then let's go grab my Bible and, and I got to find it in Isaiah because uh, this is prophesied and you're telling me it's happening. I got to verify this. <laughs> yeah. And so that's what's really interesting. Like if you read the beginning of Matthew, his because he's writing to a Jewish audience, like what he's writing is all like, Here's how, like, you, and we skip over the uh, the lineage when we read it most of the time, right? It's like, okay, I get it. So-and-so begot so-and-so, and they begot so-and-so, right? But it's really interesting when you read that. Like, the reason that Matthew does that is so you're like, Jewish audiences would have been looking for that, right? Jewish audiences would have been looking for, does he fulfill all the Old Testament prophecy? And the lineage is part of that. So it's pretty crazy. Um, yeah, let me, but like you say, let me go grab my Bible and, and make sure that this is the real deal. I think it's interesting too that you know that the shepherds who were probably Jewish are there, and then later on the Magi come, and the Magi are probably pagans from the east, right? From the east, and they're magic people, so that probably means that they're not religiously affiliated, right? They're pagans, and it's just like, man, this guy's coming for everybody. That's pretty crazy. And I, I the other thing that really really hits me about that is you've got an angel appearing to some shepherds, right? So there's already like a big distinction between those types of beings, like the glory of heaven and these shepherds. But then the the angel's coming to tell you about this baby who was just born and that he's in a manger. It's like, so this must be kind of a big deal, but it's such a, it's such a humble thing to be uh, like an, an, a baby in a manger. And by the way, his name's Emmanuel. Right. God is with us. Right. <laughs> so that's new. And I'm also, you guys are like the first people to know about it outside of the extended family of Jesus himself, right? Right. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's, and I and I always look back to something that I kind of realized recently is that it had been about 2,000 years since the Messiah was promised. Uh, and That's something you would know. I wouldn't know that. Yeah. So it had been about 2,000 years since the Messiah was promised that Jesus came, right? And so here we are. 2,000 years removed from his crucifixion, more or less, you know, this is all kind of ballpark, but when you're talking about thousands of years, it's all kind of ballpark. Um, and so it's like, yeah, we're, we're that far removed. And so, you know, as we look towards Christ's return, and it's like, come on, Jesus, what, what are we doing? What are we waiting for? That they were feeling the exact same way. And guess what? He came. Yeah. Yeah. So... Uh, hey, Dad, thanks for coming on the podcast. I really, you know, I we talk a lot anyway, but it's nice to sit down and uh, share your brains with other people because you're, like I said, uh, uh, an interesting cat. Well, and we, and we didn't even get in any arguments. Not not one. We were close with that whole In-N-Out Burger spread thing, but that's okay. Yeah. Uh, that's right, that's called buddy. Christian unity. There you go. All right, Dad, thanks for coming on. Okay, I love you, bud. Love you too.